A few weeks ago, I stood up here and told you a crazy story that some of you are still asking, is any of that true? And I can assure you that every bit of that crazy story was true, um, and it continues to impact my life to this day. Uh, it was a story of how I got involved in a situation of road rage between two ladies that just went crazy in front of me. And I was drawn into it, and through that, God has shaped my perspective of faith and life and ministry. And I stopped looking at ways of trying to get people to come into the church where I was serving and started looking at ways that I needed to get out of the church that I was serving into the community and into lives and just to, to love people where they were at and what they were going through. And not only doing that for myself, but also taking other people with me out into the streets and out into the community and out into our neighborhoods because we I started realizing that when God said to love your neighbor that he was serious. We can't just talk about it. We needed to actually demonstrate it. We needed to, to go out and do it. And so I talked about a few weeks ago how when God says that he loved the world so much that he gave his only son... I started reading that, for God so loved the world, he got involved. And I told her that Pastor Chris was going to be taking us into this series on Exodus. And Exodus is so important to the Hebrew faith as well as the Christian faith on a number of different levels. But it's a story, it's essence about God asking Moses to get involved in what he wanted to be able to do for the Hebrew people who were at that time enslaved in Egypt. And as he's talking to him and giving him this, this directive to get involved, to go, Moses is stuck. We know, and, and Pastor Chris is going to really unpack next week, Exodus chapter 3, where Moses is confronted by God at the burning bush and given this invitation to go and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But Exodus chapter 4 sometimes gets overlooked, and I, I love the, the humanity of Moses in Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 begins, But what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? And it's a fair question because Moses had experience with that. Remember, he, he left Egypt because he tried to get involved in a situation between two Egyptians. And in the process of that, they said, who made you Lord over us? Are you, who made you our leader? Why should we listen to you? He goes in trying to reason with them. He goes in with his own strength, his own intention, and he's trying to do something good. And they question him. And so he says to God, what if they don't listen to me? What if they don't believe me? And I think we've all been there. Like, who am I to get involved in a moment of road rage in front of me, in my neighborhood? Who am I to go to my neighbor and to, to try to do something for them? Who am I to get involved in this situation uh, with an abuse victim or people who need food? Who, what do I have to offer in those circumstances? It's one thing to, to question that, but then God works with Moses in Exodus chapter 4. And he says, look, I'll give you some signs. And I don't think the signs were so much for the Hebrew people as it was for Moses' sake to recognize that God was in this, that God was with him. 
And so when you get to Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, Moses gets to the heart of the issue. He says, but I'm slow of speech, God. Is there anybody else that you could send? You know, I get kind of tongue-tied. Some people think maybe he even had a stutter. He's like, God, you've got the wrong guy. Maybe you're looking for Moses in another part of the world, but this is Moses of Midian. I've, I've gotten, I, I don't have anything to offer you with this. And you would think that God would give him a little bit of a pep talk. You're good enough. You're smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like you. But he doesn't do that. God essentially says, who made man's mouth in chapter uh, 4, verse 11? He says, who gave humans the ability to speak? Who gave you your eyes to see? Who gave you your ears to hear? Who gave you that ability even to be slow of speech? God says to Moses, I know exactly who you are, warts and all. I see you. I know your weaknesses and I know your strengths. I know what you have to offer and I know what I'll have to do that you can't do for yourself. God says, I know you, Moses, but you're still the one that I want for this. You're still the one that I'm asking to go be a part of this. You're the one that I want to get involved in this situation. I see you. I know you. I made you, and I've got bigger things for you. And so then you get to Exodus chapter 4, verse 12, where God unpacks it, not just for Moses, but I think also for all of us, that when we hear God say, go, he says, go, I will help you, and I will teach you. Go. The God of the Hebrew scriptures, the God of the Christian tradition, is a God who says go a lot. He says go to Abraham. He says go to Noah. He says go here to Moses. Jesus says go into all the world. He tells, Jesus tells his followers to go into the different communities and to preach the good news. He God says go a lot. This God is ascending God. And for those that want to follow this God, you have to recognize that God is either sending you or he's waiting to send you and trying to get your attention to send you somewhere. In fact, your faith will never really be alive, will never really grow, will never really expand and mean something until you're willing to go. And that doesn't mean that you have to go to some other part of the world, to some group of people that don't speak your language. You just got to be willing to go where God says, and that might just be across the street to the grumpy neighbor to bring some sunshine into their lives. It might mean to go across town to be able to make some food boxes for people who are in need. It may be able to go across town to be able to step into a nursing home or to visit with people who don't have anybody to visit with them. Students, it might mean to go across the cafeteria to be able to sit with people who you don't usually sit with, not to make them your project, but to get to know them and love them and befriend them sincerely. you got to be willing to go where God says go and watch your faith explode within that moment. 
And don't get hung up on whether or not you, you're, you're good enough, whether or not you have the experience, whether or not you can connect or anything like that. You just got to be willing to go and watch what God can do. God says go to us because he's a creator God who wants to recreate this broken world through us. This is a loving God who wants to demonstrate love to the world around us. This is a God who is just and cares about issues of injustice. And he wants us to stand alongside of those and walk alongside of those who are in the midst of hurt, midst of pain, midst of struggle. To be able to walk alongside of them and to help them towards things that could correct the injustices that they're facing within their lives. God needs us to go with him. He invites us to go with him. He begs us to get involved with him in making this world a better place and not just sitting here saying prayers for it to be a better place. God invites us to get involved. And he tells us to do so with this. I will help you and I will teach you. It means go not in your own strength, but in God's strength. Go not with your knowledge, but as a learner and let God teach you. Let God show you what you need to do. You see, God will grow you into the person you need to be when you get to where you need to be. Some of us say, God, if, you, if you'll just make me a leader now, then I'll go and do that. And learning how to be the leader means showing up and learning in the context first. Willing to go in there unsure and willing to listen and ask questions and learn and to grow over time in that space and watching God do something. If you'll go in humility, then you'll see the amazing things that God will do. If you go as a learner, you'll see God make you into the leader that you need to be. Let me give you some stories today of, of people who did these kind of things. Back in the 80s, my dad was going on a missions trip to Honduras, and as he was flying into Central America, he's looking out the window, and he's asking the leaders of the trip, what is that, and what is this, and, and what country is this that we're flying over maybe now? And somebody said, well, that's, that's Belize. And he says, well, how many churches do we have in Belize? What kind of things do we got going on in Belize? And they're like, that's actually the only country in the Western Hemisphere where our de denomination doesn't have any churches or we don't have any work. And he's like, oh, is it like really troubled? Is it really hard to get into? Do they have big language barrier or issues? And they're like, actually, it probably should be the easiest place for us to go. It's the only English-speaking country in Central America. It's pretty politically stable. There's not a lot wrong with the place. It's just nobody's ever gone. And so dad does his trip to Honduras, and he has a really impactful time, but he can't get Belize out of his head, that there's a whole country down there where nobody's actually ever tried to go from our denomination. And so he just can't get it out of his head. He's like, why doesn't anybody want to go there? And so he starts reading everything he can find. And this is back in the days before the internet, back in the 80s, all right? So he's actually having to go to the library and find a book. And there weren't a lot of books. 
He had to look it up in the encyclopedia to try to learn whatever he could about Belize. And an encyclopedia was like a, a hard copy version of the internet at that time. And the updates were extremely slow. But there were these things, these books. And so he, he read as much as he could about Belize. He ordered a map, for, and it was like, our size of our dining room table to, to just have this country on our, his table. And he just trying to look at where all the different towns were. Where are the airports? How do you fly into this place? Why is it so hard? And why has nobody ever gone to this place? And so one day he just bought a ticket. Told mom and us, that, hey, he was going down to Belize. He just had to go. He lands on this little runway at that time in the 80s little pretty much just dirt runway, one room airport where they checked him in and got him out into the street. And there's a guy in a station wagon who was the taxi service. <laughs> and he says, I, I need a ride. He's like, where are you going? He says, well, I guess I need a hotel. He's like, you don't have a reservation anywhere? And he said, nope. Where's the hotel? He says, well, I'll take you to mom's. He wasn't sure if it was actually the guy's mom's house or it was a place called mom's. And it turned out to be a place called mom's, but it may have been the guy's mom after all. And so they get there and he gets a room above a little cafe. He says, what are you going to do tomorrow? And my dad says, I'm going to start trying to learn about your country. And he says, well, I'll be here to meet you at breakfast at eight and I'll take you around. And so... Dad gets up the next morning, has breakfast at mom's cafe, meets mom. The guy comes in. He has breakfast with dad and says, what do you want to see first? He's like, I don't know. Show me your country. He starts driving them all over the place and they start talking for day after day. It was just like this. And in the process, the guy finally says to dad, why do you want to know all this? He says, well, I think I, think I want to start a church here. And the guy said, well, you're going to need permission from the Ministry of Interior to do something like that. You're going to need property. You're going to need land. You're going to need, you know, you're going to have to have permission. And dad says, well, I guess I'll have to go meet the Ministry of Interior. He says, we'll do that tomorrow. And so the taxi driver picks him up the next day and drives him into Belmont-Pan, the, the capital city of, of Belize, and to the government buildings, walks right into the Ministry of Interior's office and says, this guy, Bill, wants to buy some property here to build a church. He knew him. <laughs> Dad says, yeah, so what's available? And they showed him some strips of land. They gave, told him what he had to do, how much it would be. He comes back to our denominational meeting in the summer with a little post-it card, a green post-it card on a stick outside of one of the college rooms and says, come learn about Belize. And people would come in and dad had his big map and he had pictures and showed people all the different things that he did and all the different things that he learned and how easy it would be to buy some property and to just build a church there in Belize and let's do it. Why haven't we done it yet? And a guy came to one of his meetings and said, can I take you to dinner? And dad said, sure, I could eat. My dad never turned down a meal with anybody <laughs> anywhere at any time. And so the guy said, I've heard about your trip to Belize. That's amazing. So glad that you went. He says, I also made a trip to Belize several years ago. Let me tell you my story. I'm a widower 
My wife died. I had lots of money off of the inheritance of that. I started trying to travel the world. One time I was sitting in a bar in Alaska, and I said, I've got to find a warmer place to go. And the guy next to me said, have you ever considered Belize? White sand beaches, no hotels, not developed, beautiful place. So the next few months later, I went down to Belize. And while I was there, God prompted me to buy 100 acres of land. I said, I had no idea, but I couldn't shake it. And so I did. I bought 100 acres of land. I've held on to that land for the last several years with no idea why until I saw your little green postcard. It said, come and learn about Belize. I heard your vision. I know this God who told you to go. He told me to buy. I give you half of that land today to build that church. Together they started a way of being able to help a ministry develop in a country where it wasn't developed before. Not because they were experts, but because they were willing. They went. They didn't know anything, but they went. When you go humbly, watch the amazing things that God will do. In the early 90s, there was this girl named Heather who was starting college And she wanted to be a social worker. And in the process of learning how to be a social worker, she was at an event where she was meeting people in need of social services in the community of her college. And as she's learning about the different things that these people can receive, these different services that these people in need could receive, she sees a girl there who looks to be about her age comes to find that the girl is her age. And rather than starting college, she had to drop out of school because she had a baby as a teenager, and she was trying to figure out what in the world she was going to be able to do. This girl, Heather, had no idea what to do. But she was drawn to this girl who was so similar in age and so similar in background, just separated by circumstance. And she started just trying to befriend this girl and saying, well, what do you think you need? And she's like, well, I need a a place to stay. I need a friend. I need, you know, I need a, a ride to be able to get to these services. I need to be able to get my GED. I don't know how I'm going to get my GED. And Heather didn't have any answers to any of these questions. She says, but I'll go with you. And so she drove her one day to find out how to get her GED. And then the girl said, well, I'm not really good at school. And Heather says, well, I can tutor you. And so she showed up to tutor her. Says, well, I need to be able to go to these classes, but I don't got anybody to take care of my baby. And Heather says, well, I'll babysit. You go to the classes. And then the girl says, I need to go take my exam, but I don't know how I'm going to get there. Well, I'll take you. I'll babysit, and I'll be able to tutor you along the way. And she started doing this for this girl, and she said, what else do you need? Well, I need this kind of service. And Heather didn't know where it was, but she says, I'll go and find it. And so she goes off, and she starts trying to find these things and connecting this teen mom with the services she needs to be able to have a decent life and the circumstances that she found herself in. And as Heather starts doing this, this girl meets other teen moms who are also trying to get their, their uh, GEDs. And they say, where can I get a Heather? <laughs> and 
And so she tells Heather that I've gotten these new friends that need somebody like you. Can you help them? She's like, I got no more time, but I've got a friend. So she went to her friend and said, hey, my friend needs a friend. Can you do what I'm doing? And so this became a network of college girls that became a group called Soul, Students Offering Unconditional Love. To be able to walk alongside of teen moms, to be able to help them do what they could not possibly do on their own. Peer to peer. It was recognized by the first George Bush as one of the thousand points of light of people doing extraordinary things just because of one girl who said, that could be me. And she went and she kept going back and back and back. She didn't know anything, but she went as a learner and God made her a leader because she was willing to go. In 2009, after Thanksgiving, we got an email from an Italian missionary couple that we had met that said that the woman had had a heart attack and to pray for her recovery. And as we started to pray, a second email came in, and it was the guy emailing directly to us. It wasn't in a group chain of, of all these different people around the world that they knew that the prayer request went out. It said, Ken and Kelly, this is going to speed us to retirement faster than we thought. Please pray about being our replacements. We were ministering in a little town in Alabama. This Italian missionary couple was in Cairo, Egypt. We said, this is the craziest idea we have ever heard in our lives. This makes no sense whatsoever. We had never been to the Middle East. We had no experience with Islam. We had no experience with Middle Eastern people. We had no experience with the Arabic language. We had no experience whatsoever in that part of the world. We'd been to Europe and served with churches in Europe. We had been to South America and done that in South America, but we had no idea what they were asking us to do. But we couldn't shake it. And so we said, yes, we'll go. We'll pack up our things, we'll take our three kids, and we'll go across the world. It took a year for the denomination that we were a part of to vet us properly. They had to do background checks and get references and to find out if we were the good kind of crazy or the bad kind of crazy. But they eventually, <laughs> they said, you're the kind of people that we want for this job. You can go. And they announced us on January 24, 2011 to the world that Ken and Kelly Oldham are going with their kids to Cairo, Egypt. On January 25th, 2011, and more than a million people were in the center of Cairo, Egypt, calling for the overthrow of Mohammed Morsi, the president of that country, and what started the Arab Spring and the refugee crisis. And people said, do you see the TV? You can't possibly go. We said, do you see the TV? This is why we've got to go. And we went. Kelly was trying to figure out what in the world she was supposed to do there as I'm starting to work with churches. She knew that God wanted her there, but she had no idea what she was going to do. Some ladies in Egypt said, well, you're a native English speaker. Why don't you teach English? And Kelly's like, I've never really taught anything before, but I'll give it a shot. So she goes and stands in front of a class a couple of times trying to teach English and quickly realized this is not what she's supposed to be doing. 
this was the worst experience, the most stressful experience of her entire life. But in a country that the UN said 98% of the women reported harassment on a regular basis, sexual harassment, sexual assault, Kelly courageously kept going until she started getting on a train with other ladies and going to far off parts of Egypt to learn about services, to learn about ministries, to learn about people, to be able to walk alongside of them and to cheer them on and to help fundraise for their needs to serve their communities better, to serve their demographics better. Kelly went, not because of any experience, not because of any strength, just because God said, go. I will help you and I will teach you. Orchard Grove, I'm telling you these stories today because there is a world of need outside these doors. There's a world of need across your street. There's a world of need within your workplaces. There's a world of need within this state or wherever you're watching us today. And God invites us to go get involved. Don't get hung up on your inability. Focus on God's ability. Go in humility and watch the amazing things that God will do because you were willing to be there to see it happen. Go as a learner and watch God grow you as a leader and walking alongside of people, loving people, impacting people. Not to make others your project, but to go and let God perfect something in you in that process. And watch the difference that unfolds. You'll never know unless you go. Go to where God wants you to be, and he will grow you into the person you need to be.